grab your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 7. My wife and I dated for three and a half years before we got engaged. So when I went to propose to her and ask her to marry me, I thought I knew her pretty well. I knew that she was probably going to say yes or she would have left me a long time before that, though I was still nervous to ask. We knew a lot about each other, but engagement changed the nature of our relationship. Like things got more serious. We started planning a wedding and where we were going to live and how things would function. There were still a lot of similarities to dating, though. You know, we'd go out and spend time together, and at the end of the night, we'd say goodnight, and we'd go back to our own homes. But that engagement ring on the finger made things a bit different. Then we got married, and our relationship changed again. (laughs) Things got even more serious. Now I knew she was stuck with me. Seriously, though, we, we became one flesh. We were now together all the time, and we we joined bank accounts, and we shared a closet. That was a lot of fun. And we grocery shopped together. And before marriage, I thought we knew each other. But let me tell you, you don't really know someone until you live with them, right? Marriage changed our relationship, and we found a new rhythm. Then we had kids. (laughs) And our relationship changed again. Things got even more serious because we no longer had to just keep ourselves alive. We had to keep these other little humans alive too. We were no longer just husband and wife. We were mom and dad. And we learned more new things about one another and how we parent, how we relate to our kids. And you know, I'm sure this won't be the last change in our relationship. I've learned that's the way life goes. We're always going to be together until death do us part. But as we go through our lives, our relationship will change and to this point, honestly, it's, it's changed each time for the better. We understand there are different major transitions in life and our existing relationships change. Whether that be with a significant other or a friend or our parents or kids. And those transitions can be so radical that it's almost like starting a whole new relationship again. This morning, as we continue our series, Walking Through the Book of Romans... Paul's going to explain to us that when we put our faith in Jesus, we begin a new relationship. We are now followers of him. We're saved by him. We're joined to him. We've been changed by him. We're not who we used to be. But we've died with Christ and and we've been raised to walk in newness of life with him. And this new relationship with Jesus leads to other new relationships in our lives. We've already seen in this book so far, through Jesus, we have peace with God. Through Jesus, we're freed from being slaves to sin. Through Jesus, we're no longer under Adam, we're under Christ. And as we start chapter 7, Paul's going to show us today that because of Jesus, we also have a new relationship with what he calls the law. But what does that mean? What is the law? Why does it matter? How does that affect our lives today? Should we as Christians even care about the Old Testament law? Those are the questions we need to answer. So let's Take this passage piece by piece, let's walk through it, and then we'll come back at the end and apply it to our lives today. But look with me at Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Paul writes, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Have you noticed that when Paul starts a new section, he loves to ask questions He loves that. That opening phrase, he says, do you not know? Literally, it means, are you ignorant? 
That means Paul is about to speak about something that these people should know really well, and that something is the law. He says, I'm speaking to those who know the law. Now, let's back up a little bit. Let's remind ourselves where we've been in this letter. It's going to help us to see kind of what this question's about. You may remember Paul's been laying out the gospel, showing us we can only be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And if you remember chapter 6, Paul spent that chapter explaining grace and how it works. And how grace does not lead us to sin more, just do whatever we want. It's not a license to sin. And you may remember this key verse, Romans 6, 14. Look at that. He says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. That phrase, not under law, that would have been something that really triggered some people. It would have especially upset Jewish people, people from Jewish backgrounds, because they grew up learning to memorize the law and love the law from their very earliest days. The Jewish people loved the law. They worked hard to keep it the best they could, and they even came to believe that it was the way to eternal life. Like, if I keep these rules good enough, then I'll be made right with God. So for Paul to criticize the law in any way and to say, you are not under the law, that would have been highly offensive to someone with a Jewish background. You can imagine the sort of criticism that Paul probably received. Oh, well, Paul doesn't believe in the Old Testament. Or he just thinks we need to throw the law away. Or he just says we can do whatever we want and God doesn't care. This is why Paul begins Romans 7 in the way that he does. He needs to explain himself. Why are Christians not under the law? And he needs to show us that our new relationship with Christ creates a new way of relating with God's law. And he does this, again, by using this imagery of death. He says a law is only binding on someone as long as they're alive. When you die, you're freed from the law. And the illustration he uses to make this point is marriage. Let's keep going, verses 2 and 3. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. This is pretty easy to track. Paul's making logical sense. He says when you're married to someone, you're bound by law to them. So for you to go and marry someone else while you're still married, that would be a violation. That would be adultery. But if your spouse dies, that changes things. Suddenly, you're free from the law. You're free to marry someone else. And let me just note that this is an illustration, okay? This is not a passage about marriage, but Paul's making a point that the law changes when someone dies. And here's how he applies that. Look at verse 4. He says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Notice that word likewise. It means in the same way. He's going to connect the dots from his illustration to his point. And so let's take this phrase by phrase. He says, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. You'll remember from Romans 6, Paul says, when we become Christians, we become united with Jesus. In a spiritual sense, we died with him. Our old selves are gone. That's because when Jesus died on the cross, he took the penalty, the payment, and the punishment for your sin. Why was there punishment? Well, there's punishment because we broke the law. So we broke the law. We sinned against God. We deserve to pay for that with death. It should have been us dying on the cross. But instead, Jesus paid it in our place. 
And this means the law can no longer condemn us. We're no longer bound by its demands. We're free. And we saw that at the end of Romans 6. So, so we died to the law. How? Through the body of Christ, through his death. Look at the next phrase. He says, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. As I said, when we become a Christian, we become united to Jesus. Just as the wife in Paul's example in verses 2 and 3, we were bound by the law. We were stuck in our sin trying to get our way out. We couldn't do it. So through Jesus, we died to the law. And just like the wife is able to remarry after her husband's death, we are now remarried and joined to Christ. And not only are we united to Jesus in his death, we're united to Jesus in his resurrection. This means that when Jesus rose from the dead in a spiritual sense, you did too. His new life became your new life. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, you know that verse? He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. Here's the last part, last phrase of verse 4. In order that we may bear fruit for God. This is the purpose of dying to the law and being united with Jesus. It's so we can bear fruit. This idea of bearing fruit is something we see all throughout the New Testament. It simply means to do good, to do Christ-like things. You may be familiar with the fruits of the Spirit. Do you know that song, Jeremy? Can you, like, lead us? I'm kidding. I won't make you do that. But I was trying to remember it earlier this morning, the fruits of the Spirit. So I cannot remember. There's hand motions. Lisa's doing the motions. But you may know love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit we will produce. So here's Paul's big point here. Being free from the law does not mean we're free to do whatever we want, sin all we want. That's what the Jews were worried about. They thought, man, if we don't have any rules, everybody's just going to get be terrible. Paul's saying, no, our freedom from the law actually does the opposite. When we're free from the law and we're joined to Christ, then we can live the life God wants us to live. We can finally bear fruit. But why didn't the law work? I mean, isn't that what rules are for? Make people be good? Why didn't it work? Why, did, why weren't we good? Well, Paul explains here in verse 5. Look at verse 5. He says, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. We're going to talk about this a lot more next week. But here's why the law could not fix us and make us be good. It's because we are no good, rotten sinners. <laughs> we are scoundrels. Don't you love that word? scoundrels. As sinners, no matter how hard we try, we can't keep the rules. We can't obey the law. In fact, Paul says our sinful passions were aroused by the law. In a very strange, ironic way, the law actually makes us worse, not better. And you fully understand this concept if you have ever spent much time with a two-year-old. My son is turning two this week. I love him so much, except he looks like me. I don't like that. <laughs> I prayed he'd look like his mother. But for some reason, when I tell my son not to do something, what happens? He wants to do it more. Ben, please don't climb on the fireplace. Please don't climb on the back of the couch. Please don't climb on the kitchen table. What is up with boys and climbing? <laughs> it's all he does. But every time I issue the command, it's like fanning a flame in his little wicked heart. <laughs> his sinful passions become aroused by my law, and he goes on with a smile on his face to do it anyway. 
Here's the deal. That's not just true for two-year-olds, is it? Apart from Christ, we never grow out of that issue. The law only makes our sin worse. We draw that line, we get as close as we can, as close as we can, then we step right over. We break the rules all the more, and he says it bears fruit for death. In other words, the law cannot fix our sin problem. If it could, God would have just given us the Ten Commandments and stopped right there. He would have said, problem solved. They know exactly what to do, and they're going to do it. That didn't work because we couldn't do it. The law became a slave master. It became chains that bound us. And it wasn't the law's fault. It was our fault. Ten commandments, they're not bad. They're not obsolete. Again, we'll talk more about this in a minute. If the law is good, it comes from God and reflects his heart. It's us. It's like that old breakup saying, it's not you, it's me. (laughs) We're the problem in our sin. But God fixed our problem as we see in this last verse. Look at verse 6. He says, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. There it is again. We're released from the law. We died to it. And again, he's talking about the penalty of the law. The penalty was you break this rule, you die. And that is gone because of Jesus. Because Jesus took the penalty, the death that we deserved. And again, that happened not just to get us out of sin, but to actually produce something else in us. He says, so that... We serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. This is big. This is big right here. Don't miss this. What does it mean to serve in the new way of the Spirit and not the written code? That word written, that phrase written code, it's, he's talking about the law again. It's that list of rules and regulations given to Moses from God to give to the Israelite people on Mount Sinai. So the old way was, hey, obey these rules or else. And what happened? The or else happened. We became trapped trying to get out, trying to fix it. And we only became worse and worse. But there's a new way. He says it's a new way and it comes from the spirit. You see, when we become Christians, I already said our old selves are dead. We become new. We become united with Jesus. And here's the kicker. Jesus puts the Holy Spirit in us. And the Holy Spirit produces in us the very thing we were created for all along. Now we're able to obey God and live godly lives and please Him because He is inside of us producing it Himself. It's important to know the Holy Spirit is not some kind of mystical force or power. He's a person. He's God. And He's living and active whether you know it or not, whether you feel it or not. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you working to make you more like Christ. And this has been God's plan from day one. To make His people holy. Listen to this from the prophet Jeremiah. This came Old Testament, long before Jesus, long before Paul, but before Jesus came to the earth. Jeremiah 31, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So so that's the old covenant. He said, I'm going to do something new. It's not going to be like that anymore. Verse 33. He says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. 
from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. We see something very similar from Ezekiel, another prophet before Jesus came to there, before Paul. He says this in Ezekiel 36. He said, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Isn't that amazing? God was talking about this way before it even happened. He had this whole plan to make us be holy, to be the people he's called us to be. And that plan was not to give us rules from the outside and force them in, but his plan was to change us from the inside out, to give us a new heart, to forgive our sins, to write his law on our hearts so we know it, and to fill us with his spirit so he could cause us to obey him. He knew we couldn't do it on our own. He knew we could not obey the law perfectly. We couldn't save ourselves, so he did it for us. He saved us. He changed us. He put his spirit in us to cause us to obey and be like Jesus. This is what the Bible calls the new covenant. It's the new way, the new life that we have in Christ. So in light of all this new, what does this mean for us practically? Sounds cool. Sounds good. What you got, preacher? Two things we can take away this morning. Here's the first. Number one, new life in Christ creates a new relationship to the law. In most churches today, you'll find somewhere in the building a picture hanging on the wall with the Ten Commandments written out. In fact, I want to challenge you. I think there's one here in our church. See if you can find it at some point where that is. But it's in every church. You know, many of us, we grew up memorizing the Ten Commandments. Yet there are some Christians who think today, well, since we're not under the law, then we don't need those anymore. That was given to Israel in the Old Covenant. We're in Christ in the New Covenant. So let's just throw those things out. Let's take the pictures off the wall. Those don't apply with me. Jesus did away with all that. But is that true? Should we get rid of the Ten Commandments and stop reading Exodus and Leviticus? Well, The answer is no. Obviously, we still have our Old Testaments here in our Bibles. We do believe in the Ten Commandments. We're not going to throw out the law or take down the pictures. In fact, Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, he said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus said, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law, to do away with the Ten Commandments. Jesus came to fulfill them. And he did. He kept the law perfectly. He obeyed every part. He did everything the law required him to do. And he's the only person to ever do that. And because Jesus has fulfilled the law, there's something different about the way Christians relate to the law from the way Israel related to the law. Remember, Paul said, we are no longer under the law like Israel was. We're not bound by the old covenant. This means when we fail to keep the law, we will not receive its penalty. Jesus took that for us. Okay, so Jesus kept the law. He fulfilled the law. He took the penalty for breaking the law. Okay, so now we can throw out those Ten Commandments, right? Again, not so fast. The Ten Commandments are still very important to believers today. For one... The Bible tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for the Christian life. This includes the Old Testament 
And yes, it even includes Leviticus. See you skipping over that in your Bible reading plan. (laughs) And for two, the law teaches us about God and how he wants us to live. For example, God just didn't decide one day, you know what, I think I'm going to make stealing a sin. You know what, lying, that sounds like a good one. Let's get them there. Let's say lying is bad. No, those things are wrong because they go against the very character of God. They reflect who he is. So the Ten Commandments and the law, they reveal to us what God is like and how he wants people to live. We know that God does not change. So his desire that people not murder each other and not steal and not lie, that was not just true for Israel. It's true for all people everywhere. These are commandments that show us the way God wants us to live. But then why do Christians pick and choose which parts of the law to keep? Sometimes people who are not Christians will criticize Christianity in that way. They'll say, oh, you guys, you just pick out the verses about homosexuality and and gossip and lying and, you know, all that in Leviticus. But then you ignore the verses in the same book about eating shellfish. You're hypocrites. That's a fair question. Why do we obey the Ten Commandments but also have no problem with attending a good shrimp boil? (laughs) Well, this is where it's helpful to see that in the Old Testament law, there are three different kinds of laws. Let me break that down. The first kind of law we see is the civil law. Israel was a nation. So God gave them laws to govern themselves as a national entity. And while we can learn a lot about God's heart for justice and fairness and order, we are not citizens today of the ancient nation of Israel, so we're not bound by those particular laws. Second kind of law is called the ceremonial law. These were the laws related to sacrifices and the priesthood and what was clean and what was unclean. And we learn from the New Testament that Jesus is our great high priest. Jesus is our perfect sacrifice once and for all. So while these laws should be read and studied because they point us to Christ, we're not bound to the ceremonial law. Otherwise, you would have came here this morning with your goats and your sheep and would have got a little messy up here. (laughs) Third kind of law we see in the Old Testament law is the moral law. These were the laws that instituted right from wrong. These are the laws we see affirmed in the New Testament because they come from God's heart of morality. You'll remember Jesus affirmed these commands in the Sermon on the Mount. So that's why it seems like we're picking and choosing the ones we like. We're actually following the pattern of Jesus, recognizing that he fulfilled all of the law. No, we're not Israelites, but yet we're still called to be God's people who reflect right and wrong. So the Ten Commandments, they're still important to Christians today. We need to know them. And yes, we even need to obey them. But it's the way we obey them that has changed. And this is the key right here. We do not keep them in order to earn God's love or to earn our salvation Rather, we keep them because of God's love and because of our salvation. Do you see that, how we can get those out of order? It's salvation first, then obedience. It's grace first, then following God's rules. And that means the law is no longer a slave master punishing us when we fail, but now it's a guide. It shows us how we can live and honor and glorify God. So we don't keep the law because we're bound to it. We keep the law because we're bound to Christ. And he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So new life in Christ 
creates a new relationship to the law. That's first, and it leads to second. Number two, new life in Christ creates a new way of living. Many Christians today still want to put on those old chains of the law. It may not be exactly the Old Testament law, but they've kind of created their own law. That was me. I didn't have the Mosaic law. I had the Micah law. As a young Christian, here was my law. Go to church on Sunday. Try my best not to cuss. Make my parents proud and happy. Keep a good reputation and don't embarrass myself. (laughs) That was much of the Christian life for me. And if I kept my Micah law, then look at me. God's happy and I'm happy and I'm a good person and I'm a good Christian. I'm better than all you. But if I broke my law, oh no. God's mad at me. I'm defeated. i got to make it up to God somehow. i got to get back on, the, on, his, on his good side. Listen to me. That is not the way to live the Christian life. That is a recipe for misery, and yet many Christians live exactly that way. And they wonder why they have no joy, no peace, no purpose. They feel like something's missing. It's because it is. Can you imagine any other relationship functioning that way? Can you imagine if I treated my marriage that way? Okay, honey, I said I love you, I took out the trash, I kept my wedding ring on today, are you happy now? That's not the point of marriage. Are there vows and rules involved in marriage? Of course there are. I made a commitment to stay married, to be faithful to my wife, to care for her in sickness or in health. But those vows flow out of my love for her. And the same thing is true for the Christian. There are rules to be followed. There are commands to be obeyed. Yes, you should live a particular way. But it's not a checklist. It's not busy work. It's not drudgery. When you know Jesus, obeying him is a delight. It's joy. It's out of love. So for us as Christians, we have a new way of living because the law becomes our guide. It's like the guardrails on the side of the road. When I'm driving on a mountain, I don't get mad at the guardrails. Like, I cannot believe they just won't let me drive wherever I want. No, I'm grateful because I know those rails are keeping me from plunging to my death. See, that's what the law becomes for the Christian. It's our guide in how to live a life that brings glory to God and actually helps us for our good. Obeying Jesus brings freedom. And this is not something we do in our own strength. Right? We don't post these rules on the wall or write down all that list and and work really hard in our own strength to obey. No, God has put his spirit in us, so we simply trust Jesus, love God, and obey him out of delight. We get up in the morning not with a checklist but with an open Bible. We don't go to God begging for approval. We go to him in prayer knowing we have it, knowing that God does not love us any less and he cannot love us anymore. We don't mope around with the chains of disappointment and guilt. We know that we're a son or daughter of the king. We walk with victory knowing, you know what, I can choose to obey God today because he's empowered me to do it. And even when I fail, because I will, I can go running right back knowing he's ready to forgive. That's what makes the Christian life different and new. We have a new life in Jesus, which leads to a new relationship to the law, which leads to a new way of living the question is is that your life 
Do you live that way? Do you have that new life in Christ? And do you live out of that joy, that delight in him? Or has your life, just your Christian life just become a routine? Just another thing you have to do because that's what you're supposed to do. Got to keep God happy. I'm going to invite you right now to bow your heads.